This is our last Sunday of Lent. Um, Jake has done a really great job leading us through the end of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, although attendance is really down since the last couple of weeks he preached. We've only got like nine people here. So uh, just, just kidding. Jake's done a great job. We're, we've been walking through this season, excuse me, <coughs> walking through this season of reflection and repentance, looking at exile, looking at listening to God. I overheard a conversation this week, and someone said, this is the lentiest Lent we've ever had. And I thought that, that makes a lot of sense. We've, we've been removed from our normal in a way that we've never done before. And today's Palm Sunday, this celebration of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. If you follow the Jewish calendar, go back to the Old Testament. Today is actually the day that the Jewish families would go out and pick the lamb that they were going to offer for their Passover sacrifice. So as all these Jewish families are heading out to pick the sacrificial lamb, we see Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. And that's no coincidence. The text we're going to read today, we're going to, we're going to read a couple of places, but we're going to start in John chapter 12, uh, verses 12 to 19. We've come back to John uh, at the end of Lent. We were doing that I Am series. And today and next week, we'll see a little bit of John's take on what happens Palm Sunday all the way up through Resurrection Sunday. We're going to read chapter 12, 12 to 19. I would encourage you to grab your Bible if you've got it at home and follow along. Then we're going to skip over and read a little bit from John 18 and 19. So I'll just start now reading John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it's written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. See, things are going to quickly change. And you know what? We're looking for a hero in desperate times too. But if you've ever had a relationship with God, which you have, very often he reacts in ways that are very unexpected. Those shouting Hosanna would soon find that to be true. And we can learn from their responses to the unexpected. See, the problem is the one who comes to fix things very often seems to have a different idea of what needs to be done. No one would have guessed, as Jesus put in that day, that there was a cross in the Messiah's future. Those close to Jesus reacted the same way we react when God does unexpected things today. If you flip over in your Bible to John chapter 18, let's just look at the first 11 verses of John 18, the story of, of what goes on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, hey, I need a Bible. I've got one. It's funny, when you, when you study on your computer and your iPad, you don't realize that the bottom left corner of, of, of John 18, oops, that's Acts. <laughs> is ripped in your Bible, and so you can't read that passage. Okay, here we go. Now we're good. John chapter 18, 18 to 11. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley, and on the other side there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials, from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, what is it that you want? Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. 
I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father's given to me? You see, what's happening here less than a week later in the garden is a far cry from Hosanna and waving palm branches. It's gone from, from uh, saving us to mere survival. And we can see that in his response to the unexpected that Peter starts grasping for control. He does what most of us do when life gets challenging. We look for something to do to fix it. We act. And in verse 10 of chapter 18, he pulls out his sword and the fisherman turns into a warrior and he hits the high priest's servant on the ear. Because that's what every soldier wants to do, is cut off the ear of their opponent. Right? Can you get that? He, Peter is not a soldier. He doesn't go after the soldiers. He gets a high priest's servant and he cuts off his ear. It's not very effective. But when things don't go the way we expect, we often do exactly what Peter does. We try to take some kind of action. We try to fix the solution, find a solution in some way that we can. We get angry. We lash out. We look for someone to blame. Have you ever noticed that? We want to blame someone. During this whole COVID crisis, everybody's trying to blame somebody else. We want to blame a politician. We want to blame those people who are still congregating in groups that are too large. And our fear pushes us toward anger as a form of control. And that's what's happening with Peter. And what follows soon after, if not at the same time, is that his fear leads to self-protection. If you turn, look down to verse 15 of chapter 18. This is a very familiar story. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. And then if you skip down to verse 25 of chapter 18, as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Three denials. Peter's going totally in the opposite direction of what he's just told Jesus. He's just said, even if they all leave you, I'll stay with you. I'm willing to die for you. But here he is, as things go differently than he expects, as the unexpected comes, he's trying to save himself. And we do that in times of crisis. We grasp for control and we try to protect ourselves. I don't know how many of you have been to the grocery store lately. Um, but I was walking through the grocery store this week and there's no toilet paper anywhere. It's hard to see and, and some of the shelves are empty. And, and I, I really have no fear of not having enough food. Right? We've got plenty of food at our house. I, I, I realize the grocery stores are going to keep getting stuff and I can come raid the Starbucks in the freezer at the church if I need to. But when you're seeing everybody grab things, there's something inside of me that thought, well, maybe I should get a couple or three of these instead of just one. 
There is this fear inside of me, even though I'm not afraid, there's something when things are unexpected and out of my control that wants to take care of myself. It's part of human nature. And the reality is, is that we like things to go the way we think they should go. It keeps us in the driver's seat. But when they take a turn, when, when it goes a, a different direction, a way that's surprised, we, we grasp for control and we build up these, these walls of self-protection. As you read through chapter 18 and 19, I would encourage you to read it all this afternoon. But, but the story just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, and like the disciples, when things go unexpected for us, we watch as it gets worse. They see the trial. They see the beating. They see the procession to the cross. And then they watch him die. And that's very, I mean, it's so much bigger than what we're going through, I'm sure. But how many of us feel like we're just sitting there watching things get worse and worse and worse? We want God to be the hero for our desperate times, but who could have thought this would happen? Who would have expected this? We sit, we watch day by day as the numbers climb, the numbers climb, and things happen that we never would have expected. And if we're not careful, we can begin to feel the weight of that fear. We can give in to that. And just as we see at the end of chapter 19, if we're not careful, life pushes us to bury hope. At the end of chapter 19, in verse 31, down to 42, it says, Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews didn't want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. And the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. See, in this situation, there are things that need to happen. It's, it's the day of preparation, and the Passover's coming, and they can't have these bodies up on the cross. They have to push for things to happen. So they go ahead and bury him. There are things that need to be done. And in a few days, the disciples on the road to Emmaus will say, we had thought he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. We, he was our hope. But at this moment, we can't wait for that. The prep, day of preparation is coming. It's almost a Sabbath. We have, to, we have to get this body out of here. He's dead. And life has to go on. See, there's, there's so much about what we see in our lives today that relates to this text. There's this Lent and this exile, this isolation there's these desperate times calling for a hero, and we want Jesus to show up and to fix things. But even when he shows up, he doesn't do what we think he's going to do. And, and if we don't slow down and catch our breath, if we don't start to trust, we can move toward a fear that grasps for control, that fights to protect ourselves, 
and what can actually lead to us burying the hope that's going to give us life. So I want to move today as we close to listening to Jesus in the chaos. I hesitate to say as we close because I've got six subpoints under that. Never done that much at the end, but here we go. If Jesus is the one we're waiting for, if he's the one who's going to make all things right, shouldn't we just look at what he's saying through all this? What if we quiet down the noise from everything that we want and all our preconceived expectations and just let him lead? What do we see happening there? Well, first, I think Jesus wants you and me to know that this is not a surprise. Chapter 18, verse 11, he says to Peter, right? Peter's cut off the ear and he says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's not a surprise for Jesus. In fact, just back at the Last Supper, he's talked about being betrayed. And in John 13, 19, he says, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am he. We, in our I Am series, we looked at I Am the, the Good Shepherd in John 10 where Jesus actually said, I, no one takes the, my life from me. I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up. And the same is true today. It's not a surprise. There is a lot of uncertainty in our world. There are models and projections for this virus. But the reality is nobody really knows what's just around the corner. Six months ago, none of us had an idea that this was even coming. But God was not and is not surprised. He knows, he guides, and he will accomplish the purposes that he has set out to accomplish. If you read in Isaiah 46... He says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. See, this enables us to rest in what is happening even when we are very surprised by what's happening. To not move toward control, fear, anger, self-protection. But if you're like me, even knowing that it's not a surprise to God is still not enough. It's not enough to keep me from tending toward those darker sides of my own life. Even though I want to trust and I want not to fear, I can still feel it lurking down deep in my stomach. But even that's a good realization. It's a good realization because the second thing I see Jesus saying in this section of Scripture is that the truth about me, the truth about Jesus will expose you. There's this interaction in chapter 18, verses 19 to 23. Turn over to that. It's, it's, it's with Annas, the high priest. John 18, verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, said Jesus. I always taught in the synagogues or in the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why'd you strike me? And then Anna sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now see, it, it says he's talking to the high priest at the beginning. And in the end, it says Anna sends him to Caiaphas, the high priest. What's going on there? Well... Annas and Caiaphas, there's a weird thing going on there. Annas was the high priest for 10 years. He was the high priest over all the Jews. And then the Roman leader deposed him and said, no, no, you're too controversial. And he, sent, he took him out of his office. But following Annas 
were five of his sons serving as high priest, and Caiaphas, who was actually his son-in-law. You see, what happened was, even though Annas wasn't the high priest, people still thought. They still reacted to him as the, the virtual high priest. So that's the first person they brought Jesus to. And Annas is questioning Jesus about his teaching. And Jesus doesn't get intimidated. He answers Annas as an equal. I, I've hidden nothing. Ask the people who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And, and it's so... It's so weird for him to respond to Annas that way that one of the officials punches him in the face and says, is that the way you talk to the high priest? Even though Annas wasn't the high priest. Jesus is not deterred. He's not intimidated. He said, hey, if I said something wrong, then correct it. But if I didn't say anything wrong, why are you hitting me? Do you see the awkwardness of that moment? That's why Annas sends him still bound to Caiaphas. Because Jesus, by just being Jesus, has exposed that Annas is not even really the high priest. And that they can't even deal with what he said. He's, he's asking them to bring forward a case. See, Jesus' words expose the hearts of the official, of Annas, and eventually of Caiaphas, and ultimately of us all. Our own fears, our own control and self-preservation shows that we don't truly believe what he said. The fear that lurks in my stomach, even though I know this is not a surprise for God, just lets me realize I'm not truly believing that he loves me, that he'll take care of me, that I have nothing to fear. See, the truth about Jesus always brings that stuff to the surface, that we don't trust. We think we do, but we don't. It says in, in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. How many of you have realized at one point in your life that there was something that you thought was true about yourself that was not true about yourself? Here's confession time for me. I'm basically the only person here, so I have to, I have to model confession. There was a period of time where I was really thankful that God had given me a servant nature, that I liked to help people, that I liked to serve, and that became a thing that was part of me, and I just knew that was who I was. And one day, God showed me that what I thought was a servant nature really was pride and ego because I was such a nice guy. It wasn't a servant nature at all. I thought it was, but the word of God keeping coming at me eventually exposed that to me. There was also a period in my life where I just felt like I had, I just trusted God. You know, people would tell me all the bad things going on and I would just trust God. And, and there's nothing wrong with trusting God. There's nothing wrong with, with serving people. But the reality was I learned by listening to the word of God was that very often I used, it, I used trusting God as a reflex to actually avoid the truth or the reality of a situation. I would just trust God to handle it instead of being honest and truthful about what was going on or my own fears. And see, in, in these unexpected times, as we listen to the words of Jesus, as he does things that we don't expect, we need to realize that his words will challenge and expose who we really are. And that, that's okay, because guess what? We're in Lent. That's when we do this reflection. That's when we let the, the dark parts of our heart bubble to the surface, because we want to see those in light of what's coming on Resurrection Sunday. And this third thing that Jesus was very clear about here is that the kingdom moves very differently. He said in chapter 18, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world, Pilate. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. He's not saying 
I'm not a king. He's not saying there's not a kingdom. He's saying I am a king and there is a kingdom. It just is very different than what you expect. If it moved the way we think kingdoms move, he says my servants would have fought to protect me. But his kingdom moves differently. And that's why we struggle with the unexpected. When Jesus is the hero that shows up in our situation, that's why he goes an unexpected way because the kingdom just moves differently. We all have within us an understanding of the way kingdoms work, the way power happens, the way control, the way things get fixed. And Jesus takes us a whole other direction. The way the kingdom of God moves forward is radically different. It, it challenges us. It exposes who we are, but it makes a way for us to be forgiven and transformed, not by winning from our perspective, but by surrendering to God and his agenda. Because Jesus is clear that God is directing history. In chapter 19, verse 9 to 11, it's that interaction that we, we know about. Pilate says to Jesus, where did you come from? And Jesus gives him no answer. In verse 10 of chapter 19, Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have power to free you or to crucify you? And in verse 11, Jesus answered, you would, not, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus can relax and rest through this very difficult time because he knows that God, the Father, is the one directing history. He knows who's in control. That's why he doesn't have to grasp for power. That's why he can rest. In hours after this, he'll be nailed to a cross and crucified. And we know the psalm that was running through his head at this time was Psalm 22. Because the first verse of Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, if you read that whole psalm, you get down to verse 28. And Psalm 22, 28 says, For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. See, Jesus can do what he's doing. And we can rest in the middle of a COVID crisis because we know that God is directing history, maybe in unexpected ways, maybe in, in paths that we never would have chosen ourselves. But he rules over the nations. So does that mean we just sit back and wait and be passive? No. There's another interesting moment in chapter 19, verse 26 and 27. I'm sure you're all familiar with this too. So it, it's um, Jesus saw his mother in 1926. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Isn't that unusual? He's dying. And yet here's this moment where he hooks up what, what, we, what we figure is John to take care of Mary. And, and what he's saying is, in the middle of this unexpected chaos, in the middle of, of the kingdom moving in a different way, in, in the middle of resting in the presence of God and the leadership of God and the control as God directs history, is that our relationships matter. We saw it back in the first of chapter 18 too, when Jesus said, if you're coming after me to all the guards in the garden, he says, if you're coming after me, let these guys go. He's caring about the people around him. He's taking care of the people who did not have the insight that he had, who didn't have the trust that he did, because our relationships matter. In this time of unexpected chaos, relationships are vitally important. And we've, I said initially to Angela, I hate that term social distancing, and now people are kind of correcting it and say it's physical distancing. We need to stay socially connected because relationships are important. 
And in this time of uncertainty, we're reminded that there really is not much more that we can be sure that we have than our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Jake and I have been doing phone calls through the directory, and, and I want you to know, um, a lot of you probably think it's really easy for Jeff just to pick up the phone. I, I, that's the, I'm more intimidated phoning. I, I, when I'm doing it at home, I have to go outside and walk around in the yard because I get nervous, right? And, and I want you to realize that because some of you are saying, well, yeah, it's easy for him. I can talk to 200 people all day long. It's, it's a lot harder to talk to eight or nine. Um, and, and it's way harder for me to talk one-on-one on the phone. But it's important that we reach out, that we connect with each other, to serve each other, to be loving and to encouraging and to be reminding people the last thing that I think Jesus says, and that is that all shall be well. And this isn't Pollyanna. This isn't denying that bad things are happening and that will happen. This isn't uh, saying that this isn't denying the fact that it's painful all over the world. But it's saying that God is leading us into this and through this and that somehow he will use it for good. At the end of chapter 19, verse 28 to 30, not quite the end, Jesus it says this, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it. They put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. See, in the, in the middle of this, at the point of crucifixion, it says, knowing that all was now completed, he, he realized he'd finished. And he says, it is finished. In fact, that word for completed in verse 28 and the word for it is finished in, in verse 30 are the same word, tetelestai. It's the Greek word that means literally it is finished. And I'm sure you've all heard this, but on, on bills of sale, on receipts in those days, when the, when the transaction was completely done, when the debt was paid in full, they would write tetelestai. And what Jesus is saying is it's taken care of. In the middle of all this confusion, at the moment when everybody else would think it's over, Jesus was... Was, was aware that it's been completed, that it was finished, paid in full. And we'll see more of why that is next week as we celebrate together. But for now, as we come to the table, as we come to, to share the fruit of what's come from the cross where Jesus ended up, as we do it in a time of, of difficulty and, and confusion and unexpected, let's, let's listen to the words of Psalm 46. Verses 8 to 11. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. God, in these times of, of crisis all over the world, and, and when life has changed more than we could have ever imagined, and we're still not sure how it's going to reset, what it's going to come back to, we're thankful for you, for, for the truth that, that you model for us, that even in these unexpected, chaotic times, that God is directing history that we can draw close to each other because of what you have given to us and that all will be well. 
as we go through Holy Week in preparation to celebrate your resurrection, please remind us of that fact. And, and during this time of, of wondering and questioning, times when we tend toward fear and anger, times when we try to control situations, times when we try to protect ourselves, we ask that you would give us who you are, that you would be the air we breathe. In Jesus' name, amen. Jake will lead us in communion shortly.